You are listening to The Benchcast with your host, the man whose business is benching, Coach Ben. All right. Welcome to Bench Talk Live. Great podcast for you today. Excited to be here. Battling this humidity right now. It is hot. Um, the temperature is up there, but more that damn humidity. And I'll tell you what, I never understood why women would complain about their hair frizzing until I grew this beard out. And let me tell you, when when it's hot and humid like this, this thing's just going to, you'll probably see by the end of this podcast, guys, this thing's probably going to be boom out here. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, anyways, excited to be here with y'all. Uh, wish I could show you. Just did some reorganizing here in the gym. We added some uh, some new things. The deadlift jack we have in here. I just took that board away. Board's now center stage, right in front. So you'll probably see when we're filming videos. You'll see the new board location. Um, so move some things around in here. So um, hopefully, y'all will like it. Got the bench heavy here from Massonomics, that poster. I don't think you can see on the YouTube, but anyways, we got some great questions to do, so let's get into it. Taking questions. Sip of coffee for the working man. My Mets mug celebrating opening day uh, Thursday, I believe, in the MLB. So I'm excited to see some baseball. <clears throat> Sip of coffee for the working man. Thinking of some new shirt ideas. Um, let me know what you guys think. I have one idea where, um, it's this, this ain't a bounce house graphic, uh, pause your reps. So I got that idea coming out. Um, also, uh, have a few others too as well, but let me know your thoughts on that guys. I think that'll be a cool shirt. Sip of coffee for the working man. I'd love to make that a shirt as well. Matt says murder hornet shirts. <laughs> That'd be something. That'd definitely be something. Uh, 08J, thoughts on hammer strength machines for bench development. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the hammer strength machines, especially that brand. Uh, I think they make some great equipment, uh, including the pressing equipment, decline, incline, regular bench. They make a lot of different stuff. And um, the uh, rowing machines I really like. So I'm I'm big on that. I think it's just good to have variation in there. Of course, I'd like like the staple of back work to be some type of a barbell row, whether it be a banded barbell row, just a barbell row, penlay row, off blocks with with bands, chains, whatever, uh, some type of free weight uh, row to be your big back builder. But I think machines can complement that very well. And uh, you can really get targeted because of that locking you into a specific range. Um, so I do think machines are a great tool to have in your arsenal. And I love um, especially the decline hammer strength machine. Uh, very easy to use. Get a great contraction in just primarily the chest. Uh, so I'm a real big fan of that machine, that decline hammer strength machine. JJ Krugby. Thumbless grip really changes the torque in my shoulders. What degree of strength loss do you think it accounts for? Um, so, thumbless grip. Now, 
I do think it, it can potentially hinder you a bit. I don't think you're ever going to be at your full potential when using a thumbless grip because obviously you don't have that torque. Um, but you may not even notice that because you're getting so much out of your back now. And that's the thing, the thumbless grip I really think uh, will allow you to tap into your back a lot more effectively. And we got some glare here, just trying to, my whole face is whited out here on Instagram. Um, but with the thumbless grip, it allows you to really get into your back a lot better. So you may notice uh, no difference at all, but um, if you're very good at torquing into the bar and getting a lot out of that type of activation, uh, then you will experience some degree of loss of strength. But uh, for the most part, I don't think people will really even notice because uh, they probably weren't getting a ton out of that before. Plus, you were mentioning it uh, changes the torque in your shoulders. So probably benching normal was causing you some issue in your shoulders. Um, and that's going to hinder your ability too. So it um, doesn't necessarily have to count for any loss. It just depends on the person. But I do think it, it hinders your top potential, all things considered, if you were feeling good, moving good, all of that. Sip of coffee tea, guys. Get some more questions popping in here. Matt says, when would you work speed plyometric? Would that be in prep for a meet off-season or before starting meet prep? Um, so I, I know you mentioned that before, Matt. I don't really refer to it as plyometrics. Um, I don't really program anything for that specifically, but speed work, yes. Uh, speed work predominantly for the bench press, unless someone's running a conjugate style training program, uh, we're probably going to use that only as a deload and that's not even all the time. Definitely not in the meat prep. Because uh, I typically like to have another progression on the second bench day. So probably only if you're looking at 12 to 16 week training cycle, we're probably going to have speed bench in there once or twice. Uh, but other than that, I'm not a huge fan of the speed work in the bench. Uh, if it makes sense, we'll go with it. Uh, I certainly have athletes who do bench three times a week, and one of those days is a speed-focused day. Since we can work with very light weights, um, not going to hinder our ability to recover much. So uh, I'll use it in that scenario. But um, for the most part, I'd say the vast majority of our athletes don't do a ton of speed work for the bench. It's going to be more so on the squat or the deadlift, and that's probably going to be once a month. Alex Perez, what's up, my friend? Hey, Coach, can you touch more on bending the bar, spreading the bar? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know what I think would be best is if I actually grab a PVC to demo for you guys. So if you could just hold on one sec, I think that will really help get the point across. So I'll be right back. Okay, so I have a PVC here, so if you're watching, you'll be able to follow along. Uh, if you're listening, you'll have to check out the YouTube Live, but bending the bar, or I have the bar out here. Now, what usually ends up happening, if you look where I'm orientated here, what ends up happening is someone bends over their bodies like this most of the time, okay? 
What I'm looking for, when I'm saying bend the bar, I want to see someone with their scapula. That's the key. When you bend the bar, you need it to be connected with your scapula. Right? I'm looking to pinch, retract, lock down, and then bend with my back. And you can see, if I, if I shoot in too much, I'm probably disconnected from my back. Right here, I have no activation through my scapula. I'm just kind of bending the bar. But... If I lock down with my scaps and I use my back, the movement comes from what's going on in my back, right? I'm not going to turn in a ton, but I'm going to get a bend that's around towards my feet, okay? And that's the key. And what I usually find is faults is that bend happens without being connected to the scapula. And that's an issue because, uh, you know, elbows will just shoot in, turn in. Um, and then also just bending the bar in the wrong direction. So hopefully that visual helps you guys out, whoever is watching and has that potential issue. And in terms of spreading the bar, that's going to be like a band pull apart is what I related to. So you're simply just spreading apart like that. Um, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. I see more faults uh, with bending the bar than anything else. And that's the same thing as describing torquing into the floor for squats and deadlifts right same types of faults either not connected to the hips or we just get this funky knee movement that's not um you know really opening the groin you hear the um ed cohen what he says when he says um open the taint right he's trying to spread the groin region rather than just drive knees out it's just like on the bench we don't have to think about tucking elbows in um, when we're squatting, we don't have to think knees out. We want to think groin open. How you think about these specific things are going to make a very big difference. Um, and it's very easy to not apply that cue in the right way. So hopefully that helps, my friend. I'll give you a little demo there. If you're having trouble with anything, if you're not sure um, to when I give feedback on videos, just let me know. I can film something in here uh, and we'll get you right. OHJ, what do you think about people like James Strickland that have a pretty narrow grip? Is there something you notice about certain people that might lend them to use more of a narrow grip? Uh, no, I think it's not really as much what you notice with the person just looking at them for the first time. I think it's more along the lines of what they've been doing in, in training, uh, what they find is a predominant uh, muscle group for them, what they find helps more with their technique, uh, perhaps going closer grip. Maybe someone feels like they can load their back better. Then great, go go for it. I'm all for it. Um, but I think it's more what you learn while you train, and that's going to take some time. You know, you'll learn your weaknesses. You'll learn where you have faults in technique, and then you'll kind of structure where you want to grip the bar around that. Versus just this person looks like this. We're going to wide grip them. You know, it's not really that cut and dry. So, um, yeah, I think it's really just something you, you're going to learn as you go through your training. <clears throat> Sip of coffee to you. Logan Barbell, how often should I be going into a shirt or supportive gear, bench daddy slingshot, in training? Should I keep a week in between before using gear again? So again, this could be a little bit dependent on the person, depending on how they're recovering. Uh, for example, I haven't really been pushing squats and deadlifts as much right now. I've been really focusing on what I'm doing with my bench. Therefore, I'm recovering a lot better because I'm getting that real primary bench day in 
Um, we're going heavy in the shirt, but then I really have a full week of rest. Um, another bench day in there, but it's not super taxing. So in terms of really heavy weights, um, just getting that stimulus once a week. So I'm right now I'm in the shirt every week. I'm loving it. I'm feeling good. And that hasn't always been the case. Uh, usually one week and then that second one is kind of a trash session. Like it's up and down and then I'd really need a break. Um, but I was also pushing heavy squats, heavy, heavy deads. So it really depends on the recovery, how the structure of the program is set up. Um, if you can be in your shirt every week, now listen, when I was pushing towards 500 bench, 600 bench even, I felt like I could go in the shirt every single week. It wasn't a big deal. I was recovering. And then as things got on, um, maybe my work capacity just wasn't as great either. My recovery maybe wasn't as great, but I was finding I couldn't be in the shirt that much times. So I was having bad sessions. I was feeling beat up. And, um, you know, I had to go two weeks in a row, take a week off and get back to it. And that worked for me for some time. And I still made progress that way. So I don't think you're missing out necessarily if you can't be in the shirt every week. But um, the more you can be in it, I think is a benefit to you more so in technique than anything. But um, yeah, it's just really dependent on how you're recovering individually. That's going to be different. So and depending to where you're at in your strength, right? So if you're not quite at that higher echelon yet where you're really pushing some massive weights, you can get away with a lot more work. Um, but, you know, if you're you're really benching a lot of weight, I, it's going to be a struggle to keep it up every week. Um, and it, it's really dependent, I'm finding, too, on how hard you're pushing squats and deads. So you have a tremendous advantage as a bench-only competitor you can see uh, a lifter such as Jimmy Cobb, um, you know, world record holder, one of the top three benches of all time. Uh, you see him pretty much almost every week in his shirt. Sometimes he, he gets away from it a week here and there. But, um, you know, see, he's very conditioned to doing that. He built that up, but he's also not competing in squat and a deadlift. So it really allows him a tremendous advantage towards his bench press. And that's why the bench-only lifters are really the, the top, you know, the top guys. Talk about Tiny Meeker, Ryan Canelli, Jimmy Cobb. You know, they all competed bench-only. Um, Tiny did some stuff, uh, push-pull and things like that as well. But, um, you know, they really focused on the bench. That was the primary objective there, pushing those weights. So, uh, you know, it does lend you tremendous advantage in terms of recovery. Uh, JH, I used to train over 20 years ago. Now I'm back to training. My bench is 135 kilograms with 80 kilograms body weight. The problem I have is with warm-ups. Whatever I do, it takes 30-40 minutes to reach bigger weights. So is that more warming up before you even get onto the bench or is that with the bench itself, taking your warm-up sets, that's taking you 30-40 minutes? And why is it taking that long? Is it, uh, you know, you're just not able to connect a certain technique, like locking the scaps down, and you need more time to, to get into the groove with that? Um, you know, what's preventing you from doing that faster? That's what I would try to, to pick out. Is it a recovery issue where you're huffing and puffing after a set? You know, there's a lot of different factors. So I'd find what's delaying you, and then I'd work to attack that. So it could be a recovery. It could be conditioning. Um, you know, it could be that you just need more soft tissue work on a specific thing. And once you nail and dial that in and find the movements that actually really help you, 
um, you could dial that in. Like for for me, um, I'm finding I'm really connecting with doing the the um, peanut ball on the T spine, doing that before a session, hitting my traps, and um, doing scat pull downs, just trying to get movement in the shoulder blades. That's been helping me tremendously connect with that that scaps down cueing. Um, whereas if I didn't do that. A lot of times when I press, I'll just end up gliding out, and I just can't hold that retraction as good. So I'm finding out the specific movements that are going to help me. Um, I can eliminate some of that extra fluff that might not be as beneficial, and then I can keep my warm-up more short and sweet. And that sounds what you would need to do, my friend. Uh, Matt says, what's a big bench breakfast look like? Um, again, I, I would not be the person to ask for nutritional advice. I'll tell you that right up front. Um, but... Uh, for a big bench, usually if, if it's a bench day, if it's a Friday, so especially now that I'm not pushing squat and a deadlift, Friday is no holds barred. Yeah, I'm going to try to eat as much as I can probably the Thursday, the night before into that bench session, which will be Friday night, okay? And, uh, you know, it's it's no holds barred. I'm going to eat as much as I can. I'm going to hydrate as best as I can for that particular session. Um, the rest of the week, I'll be a little bit more... Um, dialed in i guess with with dieting or whatever my goal is at the time uh so i will eliminate some carbs i will uh you know time the carbs better take the calories down but you're talking breakfast on a bench day um you know it's really just whatever i can get my hands on to be honest with you and uh, i'm a big fan of the mcdonald's big breakfast with hot cakes gotta get the hot cakes and I love a good hotel breakfast. I was upstate this weekend, and uh, they had a really nice layout for breakfast. You had the apple, apple, um, uh, whatever sausages, super good chicken sausage. It was a chicken apple sausage. Uh, uh, the Redskin potatoes. I don't know if we can say Redskins anymore because the Washington Redskins are out. So I had um, mahogany potatoes and delicious they're by far my favorite and um the eggs mm, i actually like the powdered eggs i mean these weren't powdered but i love those little powdered eggs you get at breakfast i like those better to be honest with you so yeah me uh logan barber loves me some uh, mcdonald hot cakes me too my friend you gotta get the big breakfast with the hot cakes not without because then it's a small breakfast if you want a big breakfast you need the hot cakes all right, guys, we're going to answer some questions that came in from Instagram the other day. Again, on Mondays, please tune into our Instagram, at Big Benches. And in the stories that I post, you are able to drop your questions, and that's what I'm answering here. Okay, At Ponytail Powerlifter, do you coach athletes that compete in different feds? And yes, I absolutely do. We have athletes who competed, um, trying to remember them all, RPS. XPC, USPA, USAPL, Wobdle, which is actually pretty big down south. Um, and then, you know, multiple international feds. You know, there's a federation in, in Great Britain, um, the UK. I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's the IPF affiliate, I imagine. And um, Joan, um, our South African representative, she competes IPF. Uh, I think she's going to explore WRPF. Um, but yeah, just different feds all over i mean there's so many of them but uh i would say uspa and rps are the big ones local lifters around here rps is prominent 
Uh, so we do a lot of those meets locally, uh, New York region. And then uh, our lifters down down south in Texas, um, California, USPA. I mean, they're pretty much everywhere, so it's hard to miss them. And uh, Wobble is really big, actually down south, I think, and out west. Um, it's a push-pull only federation, so there is no squatting. So uh, that's actually a pretty big one. But, yep, definitely do have athletes that compete all over, which is really exciting and interesting. And, uh, you know, I really enjoy that aspect because they are different. RPS, it's going to be much more friendly for, like, an equipped lifter. They have a monolift. Um, you know, the, the way the bench is, a good cushion to it, um, the equipment's just going to be different. As opposed to, like, USPA, you have specific issues um, that might pop up or things that might be a little bit better, um, they're all going to be a little bit different. So really depending on the equipment used and even the, the judging is really going to uh, change a lot of how I approach an athlete's training. So uh, definitely fed matters for sure. I got to know uh, what their competition goals are. Um, some of our athletes are actually really stoked about getting some of these federation records and things too, which I think is, is great. Um, I remember, too, starting out as an RPS, I'd always be checking the state records and things like that. You know, I know it's maybe a smaller pool of athletes, but it makes it fun, and that's what it really is about, is just having fun in this sport, and I think it's super cool to want to go after some, some fed records and things like that. So we take a look at that, too, for, for those of where we compete. At Hybrid Hillbilly. How much can being underhydrated affect your bench? And uh, it can highly, highly affect your bench. And um, I've felt that firsthand for sure. Uh, I've also felt that even more so squatting. Um, that is something I pay a lot of attention to is if I'm doing like a big squat or deadlift. Uh, I don't know how much that plays into uh, maybe getting the, the spinal fluid going. I know uh, upon waking up, that's usually at a minimum and then as you go through the day you get more of that um, spinal fluid in there and usually I'm just feeling good um, as opposed to my back being sore getting up so I'm not sure how much the hydration plays into that I imagine a huge deal as you hydrate in your body it's all going somewhere uh, so it's all going to contribute so um, I think that's why I would feel it more so on the squat and deadlift because of the axial loading uh, and I just did not feel great in the morning if I wasn't really, really hydrated and fed. So um, short plays a role, but I definitely have to be very conscientious of that. Uh, I'd say more so for the squat and the deadlift than the bench if I had to, to, to choose. But um, yeah, underhydrated, like I said, is a, probably the most profound acute negative effect that you can have towards your bench um, out of anything. You know, if you're underhydrated coming into a training session or a meet, you're going to be in trouble. Matt says your discs are taller in the AM due to them being more hydrated. They squish out as you load against gravity. And he says, however, the more hydration in the spine does affect the disc mobility. So that, that makes sense. And I know uh, Donnie Thompson would always say he would actually lose an inch off his height. He would actually take that measurement. And, uh, you know, he's got 1,200-something pounds on his back squatting it. Um, he'd actually shrink an inch in a training session, which is, is pretty wild. Um, that's why he started coming up with some of that spinal decompression he does with the bands. But, um, yeah, that makes total sense. But, 
definitely always felt like that would really affect my squat, my deadlift, so I'd have to be super conscientious of that. We have, uh, I'm not sure who this is from. I actually forgot to write this down. I apologize. Um, just asking single or multiply. And uh, it doesn't really matter, really, whatever you want to compete in, really. Um, if I'm trying to lift the most weight possible, I'm probably going to go multiply. Because um, if you can work through that material, a little more tightness to it, obviously. Uh, if you can work through that material, I think there's a better payoff. But you need to be able to work with it. Um, but they are separate categories and they have separate records associated with them. So it really just depends on, uh, where you want to compete. Like I said, I'm going to go do some single ply benching after this. I have some goals in mind for that, the lighter weight class. Um, so I'm going to venture over to that. But I mean, if I was trying to lift the most weight possible, I would definitely, um, do multiply. But, uh, I think that answers that pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Logan Barbell. Do you think getting into a single ply shirt first before getting into a double ply can help you in the long run and teach you how to use the shirt before using something more aggressive? Uh, I think so, and that's uh, my general recommendation is starting out with a single ply shirt and or a broken in multi-ply shirt. But I think um, when lifters try to transition into equipped lifting, there's too much of a thought process about which shirt, single ply, multi ply. Um, there's just no beginning point, you know. Um, and then it's kind of paralysis by analysis. You know, should I get this shirt? Should I, you know, it's, it's a whole deal. So I like to just see it, someone get a shirt. I don't care if it's single ply. I don't care if it's multi ply. I don't care if it's brand new. I don't care if it's used. Just get a shirt and let's start doing some work in it. Um, but if you are able to weigh your options a little bit more heavily, I would definitely recommend, again, single ply or a broken in multi-ply shirt. Therefore, getting it used would probably be a good course of action. I've done both those things. I've started out single ply. I definitely think that helped me because um, it's it's more, more pliable, I guess more forgiving, I would say, uh, in the terms of there's not as much layers to fight through so definitely as you're working to learn how to touch and stuff it pays off and then multiply uh, i transitioned over when i did multiply i used uh used shirts i had used shirts or larger shirts and that helped me get the most out of that as i was still learning a lot of those things as well and how to touch properly and how to tuck into it um and being able to have a looser shirt versus something that I would be using now. Like now I'm comfortable enough I can get a brand spanking new shirt, super, super tight, be stuck in it like this, literally not be able to get my pinkies anywhere near the knurling, uh, and be like, this is okay. You know, it's kind of like that meme where you're sitting in a fire at a little dog and he's like, this is fine. You know, everything's burning down. Um, yeah, I'll be in a shirt like this. I'll be, this is perfect shirt for me, guys. Perfect shirt. Um, because I'm confident now in the ability to be able to loosen that up and break that in. And then um, now at the at like the level I've gotten to, it's like after I use that shirt, for me, it's pretty much cashed out unless I gain some weight because the stretch that's going to occur in the thing, it's, it, I'm, I'm ready for a new one. So it's like almost to the point where I'll be getting a shirt per meet kind of deal if I want to really maximize that pop. Uh, but it's also benefit me. I don't travel far in terms of range of motion so i can get a shirt like that get a shit ton out of it but then it's pretty much by the wayside i don't really need it anymore um 
it's just a good training shirt at that point. Sip of coffee to the working man. No more questions popping in. I got one here from uh, at Max Whitman seven 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 seven. What is your raw bench? Uh, my raw bench is four hundred and forty pounds. I set that last year. Uh, is Inzer Rage X a good single ply shirt for beginners? And uh, to that, I would answer again. I really think you can jump into any shirt and find success. Uh, in terms of what you'd get more out of, I lean towards the Titan Super Katana. Uh, I really like that shirt, and that's kind of well known around as one of the top single ply shirts you can have. Although I think you can find success in the Rage X too, so I wouldn't really get too concerned about the brand. Just get a shirt, but I would definitely probably lean towards the Super Katana with Titan, um, if any. So that would be my general recommendation there. Uh, Logan Barbell said, I was thinking of getting a Titan Fury or F6 shirt. That's why I asked. Uh, yeah, so either one of those is a great learning shirt. Uh, the Super Katana is going to be a little bit more aggressive. I haven't used a Titan Fury F6, but um, I do know that the Super Katana is a more aggressive version. But uh, I think just getting a shirt, I think that will be fine there's also that cost perspective too i mean some shirts are more expensive than others uh you don't have to break the bank trying to get something new because you're probably the first shirt you're it's going to be serving you better more it's just a training shirt because you don't really have a benchmark to shoot for in meets yet all right it's not like you have hey this is my top multiply or i'm sorry my top equipped bench you know it's like hey i'm just setting a benchmark so that first shirt you get, I really wouldn't worry too much about it. I would just get something. Um, that'll set you up for using more aggressive equipment and continuing to progress those numbers um, instead of starting off with the Cadillac, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that'll be a great route to take. And Logan Barber says, do you, th- do you think having a bigger belly helps you in the bench? Uh, absolutely 100%. <laughs> it that definitely helps a shit ton. Um, that's why you need to have your beer belly. All right, you gotta grow your belly, guys. Um, unless you're competing lightweight, and then uh, you slowly see your belly disappear. That's what's happened to me right now. I don't have it quite as much of it. I certainly have enough of it, but don't quite have as much of it. Had a great question come in from at Vin Rea. Bow tie. We're talking about the Donnie Thompson bow tie. Uh, when and why to wear it? Is it good for office workers? So my thing with the bow tie, I definitely have one. I definitely utilize it. My thing with the bow tie is it's not a fix. All right, it's not a fix. It's one of those little harness things you kind of put on your your back, loops around your shoulders, pulls your shoulders back into a good position. So it's like I'll have perfect posture here. Um, But you can still slouch in it and everything. So it's definitely not a fix. Just putting yourself in this position, I don't think it's going to fix anything. I think there's going to be certainly some strengthening components. You're going to want to do this on your own just more regularly as well um, instead of having that assistance. But I do think it helps because it brings more awareness to the positions you're in. If I'm wearing, like, so if I'm just sitting at the desk, very easy for me because my body already wants to pull me forward to to move over here and just chill out. Um, But if I have the bow tie on, 
because that thing's pushing me back, you know, if I slouch down, it's digging in more now and stuff. So um, it, it makes me aware, all right, I got this thing on. Let me sit upright. Let me do that whole shindig. Uh, so it's more of an awareness thing that helps you stay in these good positions more than anything. Um, how long to wear? I think you can wear as long as you want, as long as it's not digging in and cutting off your blood flow and shit, which can happen if you get the uh, more aggressive version. Um, the black... Uh, I want to say they call it the formal. Um, that one is a little bit more forgiving of a material, so it's usually a little more comfortable for a longer period of time. The yellow and red one is more of a knee wrap almost type material, and that dig into you sometimes. So, um, yeah, that's my Todd on the bow tie. I think you can wear it as much as you want. Uh, I think it's a good awareness tool. I certainly think it'll help, but it's not like a band-aid. It's not, not, it's not a quick fix. Not like a magic wand. It's more like a little band aid, and you know you still gotta do the work on your own to get yourself where you need to be. And um, but it's certainly a good tool to increase awareness. Matt says need to work thoracic mobility to allow your spine to get back and then strengthen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that again, I I think that's a, uh, a a great tool, but that's the bow tie is not gonna do that for you. So. Um, if you're looking for it to just fix all your issues, that's not going to be the case. All right, guys. So uh, that was my questions from Instagram. So if we got any more here, uh, I'll be happy to answer them for you. Or, you know, if you just want to shoot the shit, talk training, whatever you want to do here. But um, let's get some more questions in. Appreciate everyone tuning in. And um, uh, we're doing the 10K a day step challenge right now with our team. Uh, I actually I missed the other day. I'm real pissed about that, but uh, just had a lot I was focusing on, and also trying to cook a brisky on the on the pit boss smoker. Um, that damn thing took a long time. So um, yeah, so I, I, we were doing the 10k day challenge. We'll get our little Fitbits and shit, and trying to hit those 10k. And that's about good two walks a day for me. Two small walks or one big walk. Uh, but definitely helps a ton for work capacity conditioning and uh, just having better recovery, just being a, a, a not a couch potato uh, fat slob, you know what I mean? Um, so just trying to keep moving, just trying to keep moving um, is really the name of the game, and that's just being a good human being. We're meant to move. It's going to do a ton good for everyone's health, so uh, I'm really excited about that challenge. Logan Barbell, do you think a floor press would help with a right-off-the-chest mid-range sticking point? Um, I think more so for uh, mid-range, for sure. Uh, I don't think right-off-the-chest, especially with a floor press, just because the dynamics of it change a little bit. You're not set up on a bench pad going through that same technique. So the floor press, uh, certainly more for the mid-range than anything. I wouldn't really use it or think of it as a off-the-chest strength builder. And would that strengthen the lower range? No, I don't think the floor press would do a great job of that. I just think there's so much more that you could do for that, uh, such as pause work, dead press, all of that. So uh, I do think there's some value to do it close grip. Usually if I'm going to do flo uh, floor press, I'm going to do it close grip. It'll allow you to work through more range and even target the triceps a little bit more heavily. 
And Matt says, if you have a guy who wants to lift with you and brags he benches four bills, then when you meet up, he is a quarter repping and grunting loud. How long before you switch gyms? Uh, I don't know. It sounds like you're going right away, my friend. <laughs> but seriously, for, for training partners, uh, man, uh, that just gets me on the topic of training partners. Um, good training partners is such a valuable thing. Um, the people you train with, the atmosphere it creates, the environment it creates, you need to have good people around you, uh, that want to work hard, that want to get better, that will push each other. And, uh, I've been through so many training groups, uh, in my time and some are better than others. All right. Some, uh, were much more effective environments towards getting stronger. Um, but I challenge anyone, if you train with a group of people, Think of how you can bring more to the table. All right. Think about how you can elevate your group to train harder, to to train better, get stronger. Um, Think about what you can bring to that group atmosphere. All right. I think that can be one of the most valuable things you do. You don't always just want to take, take, take from that environment. You know, when you're feeling sluggish that day, you're feeding off everyone else's energy. Go into a session trying to think about what you can bring to the session, what you can bring to the group and everyone else training. Uh, And when you do that, I think you're going to receive even more of a payoff. All right, so that would be my parting words to you guys today. Um, If you train with a group of lifters, even if you casually are just around another group of lifters, uh, I challenge you all to um, think of a way next time you encounter them how you can contribute more to your group, how you can contribute more, um, whether that's just the atmosphere of cheering someone on, you know, spotting a little extra, just making sure people are safe, pushing people, challenging people. Um, I think that's huge, getting a battle going, getting a good challenge going, pushing each other to the next level. Um, you guys will get so much stronger so much quickly. So, uh, I think that's a great thing to uh, to part on, everyone. I want to answer Rocco Walsh here, getting ready for first equip meet in November. Any advice for first time training cycle for equip powerlifting? It's single ply and doing push pull. Uh, so what I would say to you, my friend, is get real familiar with your equipment. All right, getting in as much as you can at first, and uh, really know what you need to do, what kind of weight you need to hit depth on the squat, um, how to pull into a good position on the deadlift, how to touch in the shirt, touch a few times before competition. Now, for a more advanced athlete, I'd probably say save the touch for the meet. But um, certainly first time going into it, I'd say touch a good three, four times in a shirt confidently before going into a meet. Because um, if it's your first meet, you don't want to uh, – listen, if you don't bomb out of your first equipped meet, then you're already doing better than half the people that even try because they're usually going to end up, everyone ends up bombing out. I bombed out of my first equip meet on the bench, believe it or not. Um, 27 pound cut quite had a lot to do with it, but um, I would definitely encourage you to get in the equipment as much as you can um, with proper recovery, but um, make sure you can hit depth, make sure you know your equipment, what you want to wear, and then touch in the bench shirt touching the bench shirt a good amount of times. That would be my best advice to you, my friend. 
Alright guys, so I'm going to cash this out today. Uh, I really appreciate everyone joined in. Uh, means a lot to me to take the time out of your Tuesday to join us here. Um, and then, hey, set the reminder, next Tuesday, 12 p.m., I'm super excited to be back at, at it with you guys, answer some questions. Uh, please consider checking out our VIP membership program. Uh, there you'll be able to access all the programs that we sell on our website completely free. You'll be able to interact with our community of lifters. Like I said, we're doing the 10K a day challenge right now. It's a lot of fun. Um, you'll be able to get coaching critiques. You'll be able to um, get a discount to our website. You know, just, just a lot of fun benefits today. You'll get exclusive content. Um, so if you enjoy our YouTube videos on the bench, you'll receive some stuff. We talk about different accessory movements, deadlift technique, squat technique, um, programming, things like that. So um, definitely consider going to bigbenches.com, checking out our VIP membership. And uh, if you have any questions on that, feel free to email me. Alright guys, I appreciate everyone tuning in. I'm going to leave you with a sip of coffee for the working man. There are, hopefully, the Mets aren't sucking. Every time I see them doing any kind of like spring training thing with the Yankees, they're getting their ass kicked. So, it's a great start, guys. It's a great start. Uh, but we are getting baseball Thursday, so cheers to that. And I will see you all next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in.